Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I pray and I hope that this morning's service will be a blessing to all of you. We come before God's presence to worship him. We come before God's presence to receive comfort, to receive forgiveness, and to receive hope, knowing that God's presence, His Holy Spirit, Jesus' never-ending intercession and love for us is constant, is pervasive in our lives. We come every Sunday morning to sort of get the sand out of the eyes of our heart that we may know more clearly, worship more clearly, and yes, sing more joyfully that the Lord is ours and that the Lord has given us a task or a mission a mission to push his kingdom into every crevice of our own lives and into every crevice in the world around us. Today's message is a little bit off the beaten track in terms of our lead up to our Easter service. Uh, today, we, we do need to address what happened this past week with with the shootings at the spa establishments here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I pray that you would listen well. And I pray that the Lord would give me wisdom as we go through this passage to understand how we as Christians perhaps uh, 
should start to digest this information? And what role does the church have and us as Christians have in understanding what is happening, in how we should, our hearts should react, and how we should move forward as well? But before we do so, I want to set a lot of groundwork before we move on, because this groundwork is very important for us to be on the same page. First, number one, we should always care and lament over the things that even the world cares and laments about. Let me say that one more time. We, as God's people, must care and lament about the things that the world cares and laments about. Now, here's a, an example. When we get older, we look back at ourselves. And when we look back at ourselves, we see that there are certain cares in our world that were sort of blown out of proportion as we see today. We look back and we see that why did we care so much about our academic standing? Why did we care so much about what so-and-so thought about us? Why did we care so much when someone broke our, you know, our Nintendo NES that one day? As older people, we look back and we say, that is out of proportion. But if you're a good parent, if you're a good older uncle or aunt, and you see the turmoil, the sadness, you don't look at the child and say, um, you're being silly. This is just a toy. Stop crying. You'll see that right now that you're crying is way out of proportion. So just stop it, deal with it, let's move on. That would be insensitive. That would be not loving. That would be selfish. For you're looking at the situation from the point of view of what you would have done from the experiences you have experienced. But this child is still yet a child. But you would enter into that child's world and you would talk with them and listen with them. Now, I'm not saying what has happened in our world today is like we're older people and these are children. But what I am saying is that we need to always have sympathy to anyone and everyone who is suffering. And even in the world that we live in, with the news that we hear and receive through the media and social media, whether or not we agree or disagree with the political discourse, whether or not we agree or disagree with the political solutions, we are still called as God's church to sympathize 
empathize, to empathize, and to pray for what the world is suffering today. And so I hope that some of you aren't tuning out from this message thinking, why is Pastor Young addressing something like this? This is here today and gone tomorrow. Why is he talking about something that doesn't seem like it's gospel-centered? Well, I would say to you that that's not the right way to think. That in order for the gospel to go deep into our hearts and our gospel to go into this world, we need to care for and love the world that God has given us. And whether we ourselves are not in a place, perhaps, to talk about identity and race, Unfortunately, not unfortunately, but we live in a world here in the United States of America, especially. We're talking about race, talking about identity, talking about the worth of humanity is central. And so I implore you, I will try to lay out a rubric for us to, to talk about these issues and a rubric for us, a pathway for us, for our hearts and how our hearts should respond to issues like this. There we go. When Jesus came, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has, has come, and there is nothing on this earth that can overcome it. There is no evil. There is no person. There is no dominion that can prevent the eventual victory of God's kingdom here today. Now, we love that good news that Jesus has come, he has brought salvation, that Jesus has sent his spirit to give us salvation, and that God's kingdom at this point of history, it's working its way through until the consummation when Jesus comes back. We live in the in-between times of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We call this the already not yet. Jesus' kingdom is already here. We see the first fruits of its power. People are being saved. People are recognizing Jesus as Lord. The church is, is going forth and, and doing its duty as, as much as, as possible through the Spirit. But the perfection of God's kingdom is not here yet. And so living in this in-between time, people often ask the question, what is it going to be like? Or what is it like to live between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus? 
What does it look like? Scripture teaches us that between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, that there will be a battle for people's hearts. There will be a battle along two fronts. One is your own heart. There is a part of you where the old person still lives in you. And there's a rightful battle for you to want to obey God. And there's and a rightful battle between that and your old self that wants to live selfishly and for yourself. We battle this battle every day of our lives. And it's a battle that we're very much aware of because it's inside of us. It's part of our, our mind. It's part of our hearts. It's part of our everyday living. But there is also another battle that is occurring, and that's the battle in this world. There is a battle for God's goodness and God's grace and God's kingdom to make its presence felt everywhere. And the Lord uses two main means to enact this battle in this world. One, and we just touched upon this, is his providential grace. The Lord allows remnants of goodness in every person in this world, whether they believe or they do not believe. There are not any purely evil people in this world. No, the remnant of goodness is is not sufficient for salvation. But the remnant of goodness that they have is sufficient or enough for them to do good to other people. And we praise God for that, that we're not all as evil as we should be. But yet we see that this remnant of providential good is is, is not enough. It's not enough to defeat the evil in this world. It's not enough to get us over the, over the top, so to speak. But we see the world fighting and vying to have, to, to, to um, apply this, these graces, this providential grace that God has given us. The second tool that God uses is the church. That's you and me. That in this in-between time, to bring good into this world, you and I, as the church of Christ, are called to go into this battlefield of the world where Jesus, where God has laid out this providential goodness around us for us to venture in, to parachute in, And to fight the battles by expanding that goodness, showing that we as children of God have, will will love people with a love from the Lord that the world does not understand. We love, we sacrifice, we give, that the people would know that not only providential love, but this salvific love that can be theirs 
comes from the same God, Jesus, God himself, the creator, Jesus himself, the savior. This is where we live. This is the battlefield. This is the time that we live in between God's first coming and God's second coming. But some of us would rather be Switzerland. Some of us would rather just sit this out and let the allied and Axis powers fight it out. Let the Lord and let the church fight it out. But I'll remain neutral. This is not the will of God. This is not what you've been called to do. You're not called to be neutral in anything. But you're called to bring forth God's righteousness in all things. Our duty is to be in that battle. They say that some of the the fiercest battles that happened are, are battles where the enemy knows they're about to be destroyed. Some of the fiercest fighting is when an animal knows that they're in mortal jeopardy. They know they will die. And then the midst of that is where the fighting is the most fierce. It is no different for us as God's people. The battle will be fierce from now until Jesus comes back. And you and I are called to enter into that place. Now, what happens when we live there? This is where I think that American culture the way that we've all been brought up has been a detriment to us. The way that we've been brought up and lived in in a time of relative peace, a time where America's military power is so overwhelming that we, we do not see as death and we do not see the cost of death as, as something that we need to measure. And so what happens when we're in the midst of a battle like this? We get scared. We get confused. We don't know how to react. And I think there's two dangers for us as God's people. First, as we just give up, we just lay down. We get scared. We just lie down and we go, we'll just wait till someone else fights this battle for us. We become a coward. The second thing that happens is that we don't understand when we go into the battle, why the battle is so hard. Why can't we win now? Why can't God's kingdom be here? 
I see the inequity. I see the sinfulness. I see the rebellion against God. I see people treating other people in a way that people should not treat people in God's image. Why isn't anything changing? Or why is the change so slow? And frustration sets in in a lot of Christian people that some of them lose hope in God and say, God is not here. But we have to remember that even in Christian history, that the only way for the message of God's love, the message of God's salvation, was spread throughout the world was through sacrifice, death, all types of trauma, all types of injustices. And I know that if we as 21st century people were there looking at that, you just go to different parts of the world. We would say, that's unjust. And perhaps we get very angry at it, as we should. But we're not a people that lose hope. There are several things that we need to do when we're in the midst of that. The first is, we need to lament. We need to be sad when when people are are being wronged. We need to lament when image bearers of God are treated as second-rate humans. We need to lament when people are unjustly dying at the hands of other people. But we cannot lay down and give up. We cannot lay down and say, that's just the way it is. But we need to weep. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I do believe that, that every Christian, in a sense, should have a Costco full of supply of tissues at their home. Truly. To lament what happens in this world. But second, in the midst of this, we're not allowed to give up hope either. Yes, it is terrible. When we see God's kingdom come, it is terrible to see the casualties. It is terrible to see the dehumanization of people in general. And it's terrible to see those who are brothers and sisters in in Christ, who have to lay down their lives for the gospel. It is terrible to see. But even in the midst of that, we have hope. We have hope in two things. God will be just in the end. God will be just in the end that all the wrongs that have been done against humanity and all the wrongs that have been done against God himself 
will receive their just reward when Jesus returns. We have hope in that. And we know that God will enact his perfect justice on all. Secondly, we know that perfection will come in that last judgment. That we will gain the hope that God has put in our hearts, a full humanity worshiping Jesus forever and ever. And so living in this already and not yet, between the first and second coming of Jesus, there is a tension in our lives. And you need to live in that tension. The tension of still seeing the ravages of sin and having to lament, having righteous anger. And the tension of the future of God's coming and knowing that there is go, that there will be judgment and that there will be that perfection that God will give us. We live with these two tensions in our hearts. And this is what a Christian, bat, Christian warrior looks like, brothers and sisters. We cannot collapse this tension. If all we see is the wrong, we will give up and lay down and wait until God comes back. If all we do is want to see God's kingdom now, we will look at the sufferings in this world and we will say, this is too much. This is overwhelming. This is overpowering. What can I do? And, and our anger at God for not bringing his kingdom now will just explode. And in fact, many people have left the faith because they can't understand why God is allowing people to suffer still now. Why God is allowing injustice to still now. What does the battlefield look like? The battlefield looks like here in the parable of the Good Samaritan. If, if what I laid out to you is sort of the, the battlefield, if what I laid out to you is sort of the, the demeanor, the, the, um, um, what's the, word? Um, the, um, the morale of the mindset of the Christian soldier, this passage talks about basically what it looks what the battlefield looks like and this is one of the key battles that we will always be fighting and that's to love our neighbor we are not to be like the religious leaders who who pass by an unknown person who's been robbed we are not to say listen i don't know what happened to you you know, perhaps you deserved it. You know, you probably wasn't wise going on by your, walking by yourself. But I need to be somewhere else. But the battlefield for us as infantrymen for the Lord is to love the people that God places around us, regardless of what the circumstances may be, regardless of what their background may be, regardless of whether or not they were um, actively, actively, actively rebelling 
against the Lord, regardless of anything. They are simply people made in God's image, and we are called to go and love them. The beauty of this passage is that we know nothing about this person who's on the side of the road. That is irrelevant. What is relevant is someone needs help. And what is relevant is that for us to love our God with all our heart, strength, and mind, it is to love those who are in need of help. And so that's what we're called to do, to love those in need of help. This is where we live, brothers and sisters. Our orders are very simple. We live in the in-between world, between the first and second coming. We have this tension in our hearts of loving those who suffer and, and hoping that God will come quickly and justice will be done. We know that within that tension, it causes us. That tension is like, is, is, is like the, a nuclear, re, the nuclear reactor that causes us, one, to pray to the Lord and to love the Lord. And number two, causes us to love those who are helpless. There are two commandments in Scripture. One we call the, the commandment of love. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The second commandment is the Great Commission. Go forth and make disciples of all nations. Go forth and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Those two work hand in hand. For the gospel message of Jesus saves sinners to be heard. We need to spread the seed of God's love widely and indiscriminately, indiscriminately to all and to everyone. We do this so that the world may see that God's love is unconditional. We don't care where you're from. We don't care your past. We don't care about your present. Here is Jesus' love. And in the midst of that, we share with them. Listen. The Lord Jesus wants your heart. His love for you is perfect. Would you please come and see the Savior yourself and be healed by his love and changed from a rebellion against, the, a, a rebel against the Lord to a son or a daughter, a soldier for his kingdom. What happened this past week 
we need to lament about the deaths of these eight people. We need to lament over the shooter as well. We need tears, which right in the eyes of God. We need to parse all the issues, social issues that are there as well. And the sermon is not the time to do that. But we need to parse through all that. Why? So we can love people better as God has commanded us to. We lament that there will be sacrifices and we lament over people's real lives that are affected. But we place our hope in God. And we move forward with our hope in God. Knowing that we're just called to love. Called to enact as much justice in this imperfect world as possible but knowing that our real hope is in God's return and that perfect love and that perfect hope and that perfect judgment that he has for us. And we move forward. One of the, one of the best sort of, one of my favorite fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 23, it's, it's self-control. It's self-control. Because it is right to be anger, angry. It's right to be hopeful. But we all know that anger that is not controlled, even righteous anger that is not controlled by the Spirit can, can go off the tracks. And then hope, rightful hope, that is not reined in by soberness of what is happening can lead to a Pollyannish type of mindset. But we remain firmly in the middle. And the scripture tells us that when we're firmly in the middle in our soberness, That is where we can find time to really pray, to pray well. That is where we find time to worship God, worship him well. And that is where we find the strength to love others sacrificially and to love people well. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, my fellow soldiers, Be sober-minded so that you can pray. Be sober-minded that you can love God. Be sober-minded that you can love the world that we live in. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we confess to you that our hearts and our minds get taken in, Lord, by the the waves of emotion in this world. And Lord, it is not that we don't recognize anger and lament or joy and celebration. 
But Lord, we often let those emo those emotions steer our hearts away from the truth of the gospel. Lord, we, we want to be sober-minded people. We want to be people who can measure what is happening in the world and to be wise. We do not want to be like robots, though. We still want to be the, the person, the human people that we are. Teach us, Lord, to weep and lament well with brothers and sisters. Teach us to lament well, especially with, with the Asian American community around us, Lord God. But at the same time, Lord, give us wisdom as a church. Give, a, give us wisdom as your advocates. Give us wisdom as your soldiers to love people to draw near to people, to share wisely, Lord, and winsomely the good news that Jesus and Jesus alone saves. Help us, Lord, not to be afraid of the battles that are before us until your return. Give us courage in all things. Help us not to be distracted by the things of this world. Help us not to blow out of proportion the worries of our own world, of our own lives, Lord God. But in all things, make us your witnesses. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.